start. So I'm going to do one thing tonight. Still take me a long time, but um, I want to focus on one thing, and that is the verse in chapter 10, chapter 10, verse 16, where he said, Circumcise therefore the foreskin of your heart, and be no longer stubborn. So that, pat, that verse caught my attention. 10.16. So I just started focusing on it. And it was part of the question. And there was a little section, a little uh, definition in the lesson. Uh, I, didn't write on, I didn't write down what page it's on. So that's, I want to I look at that with, uh, with you guys tonight. And so here's my aim. To cause the audience to know that the new covenant includes a new heart. And you could put in parentheses a new circumcised heart. Because that, their requirement, their, what God wanted them to do was to circumcise their hearts and quit being stiff-necked, quit being stubborn. And you, if you think back on the chapters we've studied so far in several instances, particularly just last week, chapter 9, how many times did Moses point out to them that they were stubborn. In fact, did he say, at one point, he said, you guys have been stubborn from day one. Remember that? That's my paraphrase. In chapter 9, stubborn or stiff-necked. So, so their so they're challenge... Their exhortation is to circumcise their heart. So the definition, if you look on um, whatever page, who, who has that uh, where the little definition is given in the, in the lesson? On page 115. It says, A ritual cutting away of the foreskin, which signified that a man was a Jew. It was supposed to demonstrate that a man had committed himself to obeying the Lord. It symbolized blood sacrifice and the consequences of rebelling against the covenant that God would cut off. That's the root of what that word means. It would, God would cut off the rebel and his heirs from Israel. Uh, and it, it refers you back to Genesis 17 where, this, where the, this, the covenant of circumcision was first instituted with Abraham and his, and his people. And then it refers us to Romans 2 for a New Testament view. We'll come to that. So I just started trying to think about um, circumcision, both Old Testament, New Testament. So here's what I got. So we're going to. This is going to be sort of a, a Bible survey. Or a, how many of you grew up in the Baptist church and did sword drill? Anybody do that? Yeah. Draw arms, present arms. Yeah, you get the, and they'd yeah. give you the verse, and you'd. Yeah, I did. I, that was one of my points of spiritual pride. <laughs> I could sword drill with the best of them. That's right. Um, I wrote down as a, I started with the def, what's the definition of circumcision? The book gave us that one. Uh, I wrote down that circumcision of the heart is the removal of the stubbornness, it, or the positive side way of saying it, the yielding of one's heart, the yielding of oneself to God. It's it's turning away from pride and humbling oneself before God. Here's a couple of interesting cross-references that, I, that the lesson gave us. In Jeremiah 4, 3, 
Jeremiah said, Thus says the Lord to the men of Judah and Jerusalem, Break up your fallow ground and sow not among the thorns. Circumcise yourselves to the Lord. Remove the foreskin of your hearts, O men of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem, lest my wrath go forth like fire and burn with none to quench it. And then over in Acts chapter 7 where Stephen is preaching, uh, he's giving a sermon to a Jewish audience. And at verse 51 he says, You stiff-necked people and uncircumcised in heart and ears. That was interesting. They were un- Stephen was accusing them or rebuking them or indicting them is probably the more accurate, the more better uh, word. Indicting them for having for being uncircumcised in heart and ears. They were they were they were just rebelling. They just had rebellious hearts, and they were closing their their ears to the truth about who Jesus was. You always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did. So do you. So that's what this idea of of uh, circumcising your heart is to do is to to get rid of turn to turn to soften that heart. And put away the rebelliousness. Well, but there's a problem with that. So my, my, my second point was, if that's the definition, well, there's a problem with the Old Covenant. Uh, go over to Hebrews. You're going to be just going all over the place. Don't lose. We're going to be coming back to Deuteronomy. We're going to be in a lot of places. But over in Hebrews chapter 8, this guy's writing and... and larger to a Jewish audience, many who were teeter-tottering. They'd come to Christ. Some of them had. Maybe some of them weren't sure. They weren't really in the faith yet, but they were in the fellowship, so to speak. But they were tempting, being tempted and considering kind of going back to the, the, the Judaism in terms of trying to understand how to be right with God. And he's exhorting them in a lot of ways through the book of Hebrews and he, in chapter 8, he, he dwells on the, the, he does a contrast between the new covenant and the old covenant, the old covenant being the Mosaic covenant that we're reading and studying about in Deuteronomy. But he says, uh, and I'm just going to, where does he say, uh, am I in Deuteronomy? I'm not in Deuteronomy 8. That's my problem. And I mean, I'm, I'm not in Hebrews 8. I'm in Deuteronomy 8. Um, Verse 6, he says, But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old, as the covenant he mediates is better, since it is enacted on better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. For he finds fault with... Now, here's here's the word that caught my attention. I thought he was going to say, For he finds fault with the covenant. That's not what it says, is it? Verse 8. I'm, look, I'm in Hebrews 8, 8. The fault he found was with them. The, 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 the members or the recipients of the covenant, Israel. And we're going to come back to chapter 8 of Hebrews. But I just it just fascinates me that the writer of Hebrews says right there that there's a problem with the Mosaic covenant. And that therefore... And that's why the new covenant was necessary. So let's talk about the new covenant. And I, so my title of my, my next little section is the promise of the new covenant. If we have a problem with the old covenant, what about the promise of the new covenant? So back to Deuteronomy. 
So in chapter 8 to 9, chapter 10, God tells them through Moses, you guys need to circumcise your heart and quit being stiff-necked. He gets all the way to chapter 30, and he says, um, he starts talking about, you know, you guys are going to, you're going to walk away from me, and I'm going to just, I'm going to disperse you into a lot of different parts. But he says, um, when you look at verse verse one, and when all these things come upon you, the blessings and the curse which I have set before you, and you call them to mind among all the nations where the Lord your God has driven you, and you return to the Lord your God, you and your children, and obey His voice in all that I command you today, with all your heart and with all your soul. Then the Lord your God will restore your fortunes and have mercy on you, and he will gather you again from all the peoples where the Lord your God has scattered you. Talks about that a little bit. And then look at verse 6. So this is Deuteronomy 30, verse 6. And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart. So he told them back in 10 they needed to circumcise their heart. But Moses says, but the promise is God's going to circumcise your heart. The Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul that you may live. So that's Deuteronomy 30. Then jump ahead to chapter to Jeremiah. Go all the way out now, middle of your Bible somewhere. Jeremiah. Jeremiah 31 And by the way, Jeremiah 31, that we're, I'm going to read you a little section, is the text that the writer of Hebrews, that we'll come to in chapter 8, that most of chapter 8, or a chunk of chapter 8 of Hebrews, is a quotation of Jeremiah 31. This reality of the new covenant. Of course, in Jeremiah, it's the promise. He's promising the new covenant. The writer of Hebrews is saying, that new covenant has happened. It's here. And you guys need to understand that. So in Jeremiah 31, starting at verse 31, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they should be my people. And I'll, So God is going to write his law on the hearts of his people. And while we're there, um, so I just told you, I want you to just note, just in terms of how does the Bible hang together. So, so Hebrews 8 is the New Testament commentary, if you will, of Jeremiah 31. It's that new covenant. It's the reality of the new covenant in Christ. But just while we're... Jeremiah 31 is not the only place in the Old Testament where God promises the new covenant. Ezekiel 36. Ezekiel 36, starting in verse 24, I will take you from the nations... And gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you. And you shall be clean from all your uncleanness. And from all your idols I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart. What was my aim for tonight? 
the new covenant includes a new, in parentheses, circumcised heart. We need, to, we need circumcised hearts. The Old Testament exhortation was to circumcise your heart, but the problem was they couldn't. But God says, there's come a day I'm going to circumcise your heart. Keep reading verse 26. I will give you a new heart and a, and a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Now, I have this big theological question that I'm not going to answer today or maybe ever until we get to heaven. And that is, so Lord, you, you, you challenge, you charge you, you, the, the people of Israel here, you know, early in their life as a nation to circumcise their hearts. They couldn't do it. You promised you were going to circumcise their hearts. But, it, but at least in, from a human standpoint, a couple of thousand years, I mean a thousand years, long time. Uh, before these promises come true, it's like why, why? It's, it's, it's one of those, you know. There's different places in the scriptures where the, 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 the psalmist, over you see it in Revelation. How long? How long, O oh Lord? So God has this timetable that we don't understand. That's another another topic. So there's so there's this Old Testament promise, if you will, of the new covenant that includes a new heart. One of the fundamental things that's different, that's better, that's superior, according to the, the writer of Hebrews, of this new covenant to the old covenant. So what about the New Testament requirement? We, we, it came up in our group last week. Are we in a covenant relationship? Did God have a make covenant promise? Because we see that. How many times have we seen it in the first 10 chapters, 11 chapters of Deuteronomy? Moses reminding these people of the covenant God made with their fathers and therefore with them and as the basis for why you need to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and so forth. Are we under the covenant? Is there, are we in a covenant relationship? So I was just looking for that. And, um, well, here's some, so I wrote down the New Testament requirement. Well, one of the first verses that came to mind was the New Testament version of you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. That we saw, we've seen it in Deuteronomy chapter 6. I think we saw it twice, didn't we? In tonight's chapter 8, chapter 11. Yeah. It's like, yeah, he keeps saying that. And he says it in other ways as well. Walk in all his ways. Be careful to do all the commandments. So when the young fellow, the, was it, uh, it wasn't the rich young ruler, it was some other guy. In the Gospels, approach Jesus. What's the greatest commandment? And he said, you know, well, it's to love the Lord. And Jesus said, the, the, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind. He, so he quotes the Old Testament. And he said, and the second is like unto it, you shall love the, your neighbor as yourself. So, yeah, yeah, it leads into, so who's my neighbor? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, the law, that's right. So clearly that's that commandment, that expectation is still on us. So I start still thinking about, well, what, what are we charged with, with regard to, if I go back to the notion of, well, if a circumcised heart, if the point of that is to remove the stubbornness 
you know, circumcise your heart and quit being stubborn, quit being stiff-necked. What does the New Testament tell me about it? Well, one thing I, I, I remember, Luke 9, 23, Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. So that's the opposite of being, of being stubborn and, and rebellious against God is to deny myself. Um, I thought of verses like 1 Peter 5, 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. James, in James 4, um, my paraphrase was, Humble yourselves, for God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Romans 12, 1. Uh, we're to present our bodies as living sacrifices. So these are just verses that came to my mind that, that would seem to be the opposite, the, the positive expectation of, from the New Testament standpoint that I am to not be stubborn in my heart, rebellious. I'm to be yielded. Well, then I wrote down, well, okay. Can I, can, so therefore, can I circumcise my heart? Can I make that happen? Of course, we've already looked at the promise was God's going to do it, right? And I wrote down, because this gets fresh on my mind from Cole's teaching in Romans, Romans 7, at the very end of Romans 7, you know, it's, it, it, Paul's talking about, he's admitting the struggle, the tension we live in, the reality of the Christian life. And, you know, the things I, I don't want to do, I keep doing. The things I, I know I should do, I don't do. Who, wretched, he calls himself, this is verse uh, 24, wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from this from the, this body of death? Thanks be to God. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I, I myself serve the law of God with my mind. But with my flesh I serve the law of sin. And here's the really good news. 8.1 There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That is an amen. That's a hallelujah verse right there. So... So we, so we have this need, like the Jewish, like the Israelites, they, they have this, I need to circumcise my heart, I'll, but I can't. Even if I want to, I, my best intentions, I just can't seem, I can't do that. And so then we go to um, my next point, and this was the Romans chapter 2. I had not read that passage, and I'm sure Cole preached on it a few months ago, but I don't know if I was paying attention that Sunday. Uh, I'd forgotten how specific it was about circumcision. Romans chapter 2, go f- open that up. Romans chapter 2, it's the last little section there. And he, he, Paul is addressing, you know, he's in, chapters 1, 2, and 3 of Romans are basically ending up to the, he's, he's taken all of us to the place where we're all sinners. The Jews, the Gentiles, those who had the law, those who don't have the law, those who, you know, every category We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God is where he ends it, where he takes us. None of us have any merit before God. There is no none that seek, verse chapter 3, no, not one. No, none of us seek after God. None of us understand. So anyway, but leading up to that, right before he gets to that, chapter 2, for circumcision indeed is of value if you obey the law. But if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. So if a man who is uncircumcised keeps the precepts of the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? Then he who is physically uncircumcised but keeps the law will condemn you who have the written code and, and circumcision but break the law. 
For no one is a Jew who is, who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart. So now we're getting to so what, what is really circumcision? It's a matter of the heart. By the Spirit, not by the letter. His, his praise is not from man, but from God. So circumcision is spiritual. True circumcision is spiritual. This thing, you know, what needs to happen to my heart is a spiritual inward thing. And the good news is it's accomplished by God. So now go to Colossians chapter 2. There's another passage I hadn't read in a while that talks about circumcision. Colossians 2, starting at verse 11. And let me throw this in just so you feel like you're getting your money's worth. Sometimes we talk about, I've even heard Cole talk about it from our, uh, I point this way for you guys on our sanctuaries right over there. Uh, when Cole preaches, the, uh, the, one of the ways to, to look at Scripture, particularly in the New Testament, is to, to recognize the difference between the indicative and the imperative. Y'all ever you remember me talking about those two? <laughs> the indicative and the imperative. If you remember your, your English, not grammar. Whatever that moods. is. Hmm? Verb moods. Yeah, there you go. Verb moods. Oh, that always, it never communicated to me. The mood of a verb. I don't know. Uh, but indicative is, yeah, all right. Indicative verse. You know, do you know what imperative means? An imperative verb? Command. That's a command. That's what you're supposed to do. Well, the, the, generally speaking, in majority ways, in the New Testament, we, the, the New Testament writers give us the indicative, the, what's true. Before they tell us the imperative, what I'm supposed to do. Like Romans, Romans 1 through 11 is all the stuff that's true. It's the indicative. Here's what's true. Here's, what's God, here's what God has done. Chapter 12, verse 1, therefore, by the mercies of God, right? Ephesians is the same way. A lot of the New Testament that way. So, so why did I tell you all that? Because in Colossians 2, 11, here's an indicative. Here's an indicative. Here's something that's true. Whether you feel it or not, if you're in Christ, chapter 2, verse 11, in him also you were circumcised. You get that? You were circumcised. Not you might have been circumcised or you will be circumcised. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God. Keeps on going. Verse 13, and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven all our trespasses. I just, you, you were, I, you and me, if we're in Christ, we were circumcised. We are circumcised. Circumcised. And again, it's. Romans 2, it's that inner, inward, true spiritual circumcision of the heart. And what does that mean? So here's some other verses that indicate that, that God is doing this. Here's one of my favorite verses in Philippians. Y'all can just, I'll just read some of these. Philippians 2, 12, 12 and 13. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only is in my presence, but much more in my absence, Paul is writing to this to the church at Philippi. 
What does he say to him? Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. That sound, that's an imperative. Sounds like kind of a circumcise your heart. Do it yourself. But Paul doesn't stop there. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it's God who works in you. That's an indicative. That's something that's true. God works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Similarly, in Hebrews 13, 20, it's a great doxology verse, talks about the new, co- the eternal covenant. He says, May the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, may he equip you with every good thing, with everything good, that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ. So God is working in us. We're not just left to our own devices. Second Peter chapter 1, another great passage. He says, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us into His own glory and excellence, by which He's granted to us His precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. I mean, do you hear the enablement that, that, that God has done what needs to be done for us so that we can grow in spirit, you know, so we can, um, how to say this, so that we can make progress in time and space, you know, on, on earth, in our lives on earth, we can... Grow in Christ likeness. Now, the good, let me go back to my good news. We're, we're all failing miserably, right? And, and it, so that's why I always come back to in Romans 8 1. <laughs> there is therefore now no condemnation. That part, that the punishment of sin has been dealt with. Christ took that wrath of God upon himself in our place. So there's, so there's, I'm going to fail, but God's dealt with the punishment for that. And he's enabled me, he's put his spirit within me. He's given me a new heart. Um, so, so when I read in the Old Testament, in Deuteronomy, to, to, the, to the Israelites of that day, what Moses said, you guys need to circumcise your own heart. I mean, I don't know, I can't read that as an Old Testament person, right? Because I'm thinking, from from our vantage point, all I can think of is, God, that had to have been frustrating. I mean, I know I'm frustrated. I'm 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 Paul in Romans seven, you know, struggling, wretched man that I am, because I do stuff I know I'm not supposed to do, and I don't do the stuff I'm supposed to do. At least, but I got Romans eight one. There's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Gosh, if you were the Israelite who were struggling, you were struggling. Just hang on to that question and think about that question. Where was God's grace? What did God's grace look like if you were a Jewish person with that rebellious heart? Think about that. Uh, I'm going to close right there. Pray for us and then say one more time what our study is for this coming week. Father, tonight, just uh, we are thankful 
to be reminded from lots of places in Scripture all that you've done for us. We, we've seen it in, this, in the chapters in Deuteronomy over and over. Moses reminded these people how you miraculously, powerfully brought them out of Egypt and how you were, and he was reminding them of how you were going to put them in that land and bless them. And Lord, you, we, we see in Scripture you've done that and more for us. You've given us your spirit, literally, your Holy Spirit to dwell within us so that our, and given us new hearts. And you've taken away the condemnation. Oh, Father, impl- impress these things upon our hearts uh, tomorrow and the next day and the next day that it might change us. Father, we ask you to do it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.